Hi everyone, I'm your co-host Rebecca. And I'm your co-host Rach. And welcome to another episode of Ember Island Sayers. This week we're going to be discussing Season 2, Episode 19, The Guru. After dropping Sokka off in Chameleon Bay to reunite with his father, Aang travels to the Eastern Air Temple in hopes of mastering the Avatar state. Meanwhile, in Ba Sing Se, Katara and Azula prepare for war on opposing sides, while Zuko and Iroh serve tea at the newly opened Jasmine Dragon. Elsewhere, Toph tries to escape her dunderhead captors. Longest summary ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot going on in this episode. It's kind of, you know, building up to the finale, so... Yeah, it makes sense. And on uh, Netflix, it's actually a two-parter with the finale. They both aired on December 1st, 2006. So, yep, just sat there in front of the TV and was like, what did I just watch? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen part two yet, but uh, part one was definitely pretty intense. So, yeah, we'll see where things go. So that's a good segue, actually, into uh, just mentioning that we don't have any emails or anything to read out this week. In two weeks' time, we'll be recording our Closing Book 2 episode. When you hear this, if you send in emails, then you should be able to send them to us in time for us to get them into our Book 2 episode. We're excited. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and we would love to hear if you guys have any suggestions for, like, I don't know, top tens you want us to do. We will probably do, like we did before, a ranking of all the episodes. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. And we've also talked about some other things that we wanted to discuss, and we will do our drabbles, of course. Yeah, I still don't know what I'm going to write mine about, but... Oh, I've been planning mine for the past few weeks. I know exactly what I'm going to (laughs) write. Speaking of uh, things that we write... Ooh, nice, nice. We're doing well with the segues this episode. Yes. (laughs) Do you have a poem for Sokka's Poetry Society? I do, and I actually wanted to dedicate this poem to you, because I wrote it for you. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) And I think you'll see why when I read it. Yeah, I'll just take it away rather than explain it too much, I think. When I needed a strong foundation to ground me, she found me in the water and I was revived. The fire couldn't burn away my identity. With her by my side, the spirit of the air survived. The sound of her voice has guided me expertly. Her light has shone brighter than any darkness. So perhaps my mind will never reach pure cosmic energy. But my love for Katara is endless. Aww, that's so sweet. (laughs) I know, I know. I wanted to write a poem that included the chakras in it, and then also a... Katang poems, so I tried to combine those things. So cute. I love it. (laughs) I'm glad you like it. Why would I choose cosmic energy? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) We'll get into that and much more, I think, in this episode. We will. We're just going to follow the structure of the episode because we decided it was too complicated to try and split up the storylines. Yeah, it's going to be complicated either way, so strap in. Yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think we should start with beautiful butterfly Zuko. <laughs> yeah, this episode starts off on, well, I don't know that it's meant to be comedic, but to me, it's a very comedic moment. It's just, I think, funny because Zuko is behaving so differently. Like we knew he was going through a metamorphosis, but we had no idea that he was going to become completely different. <laughs> 
He wakes up and Iroh is making juke. We actually looked up juke and it looks pretty delicious. It does. It involves bacon. So how can you go wrong? (laughs) I was going to make some, but it takes like two and a half hours. So not happening (laughs) this week at least. No, but maybe in the near future. So Iroh is making juke and he tells us that Zuko doesn't actually like it normally. But Zuko, now that he has gone through his metamorphosis, is like, actually, it looks delicious. (laughs) He's like, it smells good, tastes good, I'm ready for the world today. (laughs) It's really bizarre, honestly. I feel like Zuko has been replaced with, like, a Stepford Wife version of himself. (laughs) That's like, you know, the end of my poem where I said, I awaken to someone who isn't me. Like, he really mm. isn't himself at all. I think it just harkens back to that idea we were talking about where he didn't face up to his identity in the last episode. And so he's, again, struggling with who he really is. Yeah, it's one thing to go through a transformation, but I feel like this really isn't earned for him. Mm-hmm. Because he, he literally just did one good thing. <laughs> right. Right. And he had to, like, be persuaded into doing it, too. It wasn't just him doing it out of the goodness of his heart. It was like Iroh had to yell at him before he made that decision. <laughs> That's a good point also. Yeah, you're right. I think he still has quite a ways to go. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that maybe in the future. Yeah. I think this might be a good time, too, to talk about my theory that Iroh went through the same sort of metamorphosis after he stepped down from his position in the Fire Nation military. Yeah, I really like that idea. We definitely see that Iroh is very different than he used to be. And I think as you said when we talked about this off air, uh, (laughs) that could explain why he recognized what was happening with Zuko. Yeah, I think he had to go through a metamorphosis of his own in the past. So he really recognized those signs and wanted to help Zuko through it because I'm sure it, it wasn't easy for him either, especially since it happened on kind of the waves of Luten dying. Yeah, although I think that Iroh has certainly found a more holistic approach to his life rather than veering so much to one extreme so I think that's kind of where the difference is yeah yeah he definitely has a very good sense of self right whereas Zuko is still struggling yeah (laughs) every day every episode all right so should we go on then to Sokka and Aang yeah Sokka's struggling too (laughs) Oh, bless. Yeah, it is really sweet that he is so nervous to see his father again. Yeah, I thought it was adorable that Aang was just so encouraging of him and was really excited for him to see his dad again. I just, I think their dynamic is really cute and they've definitely become like brothers at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, I think they really have and um, I call them like best brothers-in-law. <laughs> Because I kind of think of them that way, even though obviously, like, Aang and Katara are not actually together. But 
I feel like they definitely have that energy of, yeah, brothers, as you said. Yeah, I just, I really liked the reassurance that Aang gave him. Yeah, poor Sokka. <laughs> I know, yeah. And I think that even carries into, so he says goodbye to Aang, and he walks into the kind of camp that they've set up on Chameleon Bay. And you even see in his posture how he's kind of shrunken and, like, recoiled. Yeah, he's not carrying himself with confidence at all. Whereas Aang was very confident. He seemed very confident when he was going to see Guru Patik. Yeah, that's very true. Oh, Sokka, I just feel so bad for him. <laughs> I know, I know. I think part of it is just this expectation that he has of his father because his father has been away for so long so I think that kind of makes him idealize his father a little bit in his mind. It's been over two years which is what Aang said and I think that's a huge deal you know I can't imagine not seeing my family members or like at least talking to them like you know they don't even have technology to talk to each other on a normal basis so uh, yeah. I think Sokka he's changed so much in those past two years and maybe he's worried like is my dad gonna be a different person when I see him again which is why it's really nice when he gets recognized when he walks into the camp oh yes and you see him like change physically I think in that scene he like stands up taller when he realizes that people recognize him mm -hmm. yeah and one of the Water Tribe men comes up and gives him the handshake that they have. And it's a very personable handshake. So I thought that was a really nice touch that they added that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always nice, I think, to get to see some of the Water Tribe like culture. Oh, yeah. I agree. Because we do get a lot of world building in the Earth Kingdom especially. And I think the Fire Nation. But... I think that's also just a testament to like what's going on in the world because so much of the air nomad culture and the water tribe culture has been erased by the Fire Nation. So when we get snippets of it, it's really nice to see. And then we see from that scene, he gets taken to his father's tent. And I thought it was a really nice little touch that he first walks in and like his dad doesn't see him. And then someone else sees him and, like, kind of taps his dad on the shoulder, which is really cute. Yeah, it was Bato. <laughs> oh, it was Bato. I didn't recognize him. I'm sorry, Bato. You've only seen Bato once, so. Yeah, it was just very cute. And, uh, and then he goes over to Sokka and gives him a big hug. And Sokka says, hi, dad. And I get teary-eyed because it's so sweet. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely teared up when he, like, nuzzled into his dad's shoulder. I just thought that was a really beautiful touch that the animators did. It's so nice to see father and son being kind of uh, affectionate with each other, because mm -hmm. I feel like that's not always shown in media. Like, you often get these depictions of fathers being quite distant from their sons. Healthy masculinity. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we love to see it. Yes, yes, good stuff. And then from there we go to... <laughs> Not some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, so we cut to the Earth King. 
Yeah, the Earth King will not shut up. He really, really needs to stop talking. That was just me that entire scene, just like internally screaming, stop talking, please stop talking. (laughs) I mean, to his credit, he doesn't know that Azula is Azula. He thinks she's just a Kyoshi warrior and he's been told that the Kyoshi warriors are reliable, although he really should know that. But even so, like, you don't reveal all your plans to some random person who shows up. Right. He's just so naive. And I feel like that's another part of him being isolated. It's like he never really learned how to function in normal society. And also, he's probably a very lonely person. And he probably did the same thing to Long Fang when Long Fang was around. Like, just dumped all of his information on Long Fang. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I do have to wonder about how he was raised. Uh, yeah, it was probably not in a very healthy way. Well, obviously his parents are not around anymore. And uh, the emperor that he was based on was an orphan and was basically raised by other people who had their own agenda. So I'm kind of thinking the same thing happened with him. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, he is revealing all of his war plans to Azula. <laughs> now they know about the Day of Black Sun. Great. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it was important that they didn't know about that or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and you can bet she's going to be taking that back to Ozai. <laughs> of course, of course. And she's somebody who is dangerous enough that she can do something with that information. So... The other person who is involved with the planning of this war is Katara. Yeah, Katara with Momo. <laughs> yeah, I love that Momo stayed with her. Yeah, so she's in a sort of planning meeting with the Council of Five, which are kind of like the generals who watch over Ba Sing Se, and they're talking about this invasion plan on the day of black sun and katara's just you know kind of wanting to have fun but they're not having it (laughs) no she's missing ang really because ang is her friend who she goofs around with she is in the situation where she's the only kid really in the room and uh she's trying to sort of lighten things a little bit and uh general Howe is not having it and Aang isn't there to laugh at her bad jokes either, so... <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's it's a little rough for Katara. But she's doing her best. Yeah, and they do give her a very important duty of bringing their plans to the Earth King so that he can approve of them. Right, right. I didn't pick up on that, actually, when I watched it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Well, it just reminded me of what you were talking about a few episodes back and how the Earth King was probably given documents and just they were just put in front of him and he just signed them no matter what they said. Mm, Yeah, like Queen Elizabeth I. Yeah, yeah. Right. (laughs) We go from that little interlude back to Aang, funnily enough. So Aang shows up at the uh, Eastern Air Temple. (laughs) Actually, all of the temples have an episode named after them except the Eastern Air Temple, so... He meets Guru Patik, who he kind of knew through the scroll that was attached to Appa's horn. Yeah, and I think, like, the first thing Guru Patik does is offer him a very 
interesting bowl of something. <laughs> yes, he offers him onion and banana juice, which I think sounds completely disgusting, especially because I don't like bananas. So if you aren't privy to our Discord, I was actually going to make onion and banana juice to try for this episode, but my local grocery store did not have bananas. So that didn't happen. I don't know. Maybe I was spared of a stomach ache. <laughs> I'm interested in trying it. I don't know. Yeah, I actually read that um, it was based on something that one of the creators had heard about their friend drinking at a yoga retreat. I did not know that. That's hilarious. I don't know if that's true because there wasn't a source, but that's what Avatar Wiki said. That is so funny. I did look it up and it does have like really amazing properties, like good for your health, good for fiber and nutrients. I mean, onions and bananas, like they're both good for you, so. True, but I just feel like you don't need to combine them. I trust Guru Petit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go with no, but if you want to try that, then I guess do that just you know i hope you don't get sick so yeah he gives him this stuff he also tells him that he was a spiritual brother to the air nomads and that he was actually a friend of monk gyatso's which is interesting because ang never met him guru patik is 150 years old so that puts him at like age 50 when the war started so i don't know maybe he just was never like formally introduced to him or something Yeah, yeah, maybe. And, you know, when you're a kid, sometimes you meet people and you don't remember who they are later, so. I have read some fanfic where Guru Patik and Gyatso were in love, and I love that idea. Aw, that's really sweet. I know. (laughs) Breaks my heart, but I really like the idea of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are very similar characters, I think, in terms of how they act and also their role in Aang's life. Alright, so we go from two pretty wise people, uh, which are (laughs) Guru Patik and uh, Aang, to two complete dunderheads. Back at it again. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, so they are transporting Toph in their metal coffin to the Beifong residence so they can get their reward finally. Jeez, how long did it take? It had to have been at least like two months or something where they're tracking her down. That's how incompetent they are. They finally realized like, you know, they had to be undermined in order to get to her. She (laughs) is really angry at them. She's yelling at them and she says she has to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Yes. Which fair. Yeah, I mean, it's not a short trip back to her estate. Like, they're on the other side of the Earth Kingdom, so. Yeah. I mean, she's lying, I think, in this case, but, like, yes. she, <laughs> she might actually need to go to the bathroom. Poor Toph. She's in a bad situation. I know. If only she could waterbend, and then she'd be okay. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. Just before we move on, I think that they do pretty clearly set up here what's going to happen later because mm-hmm. Shinfu and Master Yu particularly call out, like, it's not like you could bend metal, haha. And then they, like, zoom in on his face and it's like, hmm, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that um, they're clearly setting us up to 
fan metal, which I was already suspicious of anyway. So yeah, you like predicted that back. I think in the Haru episode back in uh, book one. I think it was when Tar first appeared because no, I'll tell you what it was. It was um, the episode before with King Boomy in the metal coffin, and I was like, it's kind of weird that they can't bend metal. <laughs> But yeah, I just just to say that I think that they set it up pretty well in this episode. And we'll come back to it later. But for now... We go to some... Well, we actually go from one dangerous lady to three dangerous ladies. <laughs> yes. Who are removing their Kiyoshi makeup. <laughs> <laughs> May looks so funny with the smudged she under does. eye makeup. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, Tylee is like very gracefully taking hers off and May just has these giant stains under her eyes. We get a nice little exchange between the three of them, which is you see a little bit of Tylee teasing May, which I thought was cute. And then Azula kind of villain monologues at them. I know, they're just trying to have a good time and Azula's like, listen, this is our plan to take down Ba Sing Se. <laughs> yes, yes. I thought it was interesting in this scene, just the contrast between how Tai Lee talks to Mei and Azula. With Azula, she says, like, oh, wow, like, I admire your confidence. And I wonder how much of that is true on how much of it is her feeling kind of intimidated by Azula and thinking that she needs to, like, say nice things to her. I think it can almost be both at the same time. Like, she does admire Azula, but at the same time, she's scared of her so. yeah and she definitely would never say like the teasing things that she says to May that she does to Azula that would just be bad news yeah you don't want to do that <laughs> I just thought it was nicely set up and we've talked about the contrast between their friendships before as well um so I thought it was nice to see an extra element to that I think Azula in this moment we really see her learning from her enemies because she talks about how they need to take down Bossing Save from the inside. And I think after the whole situation with the drill, she really looked at what the gang was doing and was like, oh, I can implement this. There will be some parallels with this and Zuko in the future and kind of how they learn from the gang. Yeah, and the irony is that Sokka got that idea from Tai Lee. Mm. <laughs> so they're just like big circle <laughs> of ideas. Yeah, well, it also maybe goes to show that Azula underestimates Tylee a little bit because she doesn't really, or not underestimates, but like doesn't maybe value her. I don't know. That's just one way you can interpret it. No, I think that's insightful. Thank you. Yeah, it is kind of interesting how it is a big loop. We kind of just get this idea that Azula is going to take some steps to enact her plan. We don't know what those are yet. Yeah, she basically says, you know, whoever controls the Daiwi controls Ba Sing Se, and the fact that she tuned into that so quickly is a little bit scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She is extremely smart in this episode. And I think also to your point about, like you said, her underestimating Tylee is like the things that she takes to heart are things like she got defeated and her pride was very much wounded in the drill. 
she's more inclined to learn from a defeat than she is from like listening to her friends. Yeah, yeah. So then we cut back to Aang. This is when we get our big introduction to the main storyline that Aang has in this episode, which is to do with chakras. Yeah, I thought the way they described this was really great. And I agreed with your note about how Guru Patik is a really good teacher. Yeah, I think about this a lot because, you know, I have been a teacher for a while now um, in different capacities. And I've also taken a couple of courses on teaching. And one of the things I feel like I've learned as a teacher over time is that it's always best to encourage people to come to their own conclusions rather than just telling them. Yeah, I think he uses examples in a really good way. Like he tells Aang about the pools, right? He compares the chakras to the pools and he says that when they are blocked, then they can't flow between each other. And that was a really nice way to kind of say, look, here's an example. Now, can you use that knowledge to come to a conclusion about something else? And that's really what I try and do with my students. It's something that works really well for me as a learner, as well as as a teacher. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a great example of teaching in a positive way. And I like how he also used the environment around him to teach, because I feel like sometimes you need something more visual, more tangible in order to understand kind of more philosophical (laughs) ideas and concepts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and it's kind of nice because Aang is also very involved with the natural world, too. Mm-hmm. He's an example of a good teacher for Aang. Unlike Zhang Zhang and Paku. <laughs> yeah, not the best for Aang. So I did want to talk a little bit about chakras. I promised last episode that I would do some research. And so the concept of chakras comes from early traditions of Hinduism, but the modern kind of western chakra system actually came from a bunch of different sources starting in the 1880s and then there were a couple of books that kind of solidified it so there was uh, a book called the serpent power by sir john woodruff in 1919 and then another book called the chakras by charles w Leadbeater in 1927 and that one actually introduced the seven colors for the chakras which is important for this episode. It's one of those examples where there has been a lot of cultural appropriation, I think, going on. Mm. And that's something I think about a lot with yoga too, not to go off on a big tangent about this, but I really like yoga and I think it's really valuable to practice, but I am aware at the same time that it is a culturally appropriated pastime because it came from Hindu traditions and it's become, you know, a huge Western thing and it's been changed and adapted. And I think there is still value in practicing yoga because a lot of the core concepts are really important. But I think it's important to be aware of where it came from and also to acknowledge that because I think a lot of people who teach yoga don't really acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think there should be a level of respect implemented when you're practicing that sort of thing. 
so that was just a quick note. The colors that I mentioned, they actually come up in each of the visualizations that Aang has. For example, the final chakra has a violet tone to the visualizations that he has, which again, the final chakra has that color that corresponds with it. And for all seven, they have the same thing. And also, according to Avatar Wiki, Aang has different hand positions when he's opening the chakras. And these are also are also related to actual positions used in real life, which are called mudras. I knew a little bit about mudras from yoga, but not that much. So I didn't pick up on that, but I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely interesting. Yeah, I did a little research of my own because when I was writing my poem for the last episode, it was actually inspired by Kundalini, which means coiled snake. And this is the divine energy that is located at the base of the spine in Hinduism. And Kundalini is awakened in Hinduism. And when it is awakened, it travels up through the body until it reaches the crown chakra. And this is meant to produce a profound transformation of consciousness. And I think they kind of express that with the avatar state in the show. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So that whole sequence with Zuko where he was dreaming about the circling dragons, I thought maybe like his spiritual journey kind of mirrors Aang's a little bit in this episode. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's interesting to look at the parallels between them. We've talked a lot about the parallels of Zuko with different characters, like Zuko with Aang and Zuko with Sokka. And uh, I think it's always fun to kind of examine that. Yeah, there's a lot here. And, you know, I just gave a very brief overview of what I know about chakras. I think we can only really scratch the surface, but it's definitely something interesting to look at and research and connect to the show and like you said take this knowledge and be respectful and realize you know where things come from Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so shall we start with the first chakra all right (laughs) the earth chakra yes um i called it the root because i was using the (laughs) the terminology i'm more familiar with and this one is located at the base of the spine and it's a pretty easy one for ang to open Mm -hmm, yeah so this one deals with survival but is blocked by fear and for each chakra we see like rebecca said we see these flashes of what ang is going through in different colors are represented and Aang's fears seem to be dying, losing Katara himself when he's in the Avatar state, and Ozai are the four things that are depicted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't see Aang as a particularly fearful person. Mm. No, me either. So it kind of made sense for me that it was pretty easy for him to open that one. So we go from there to the water chakra or the sacral chakra. Yeah, this one deals with pleasure and is blocked by guilt. And you actually talked about this chakra before in a previous episode. Yes, I did, because I wasn't sure which chakra was associated with water, and I thought it was the throat chakra, because that one is associated with blue, but it's not. (laughs) 
<laughs> Interestingly, the sacral chakra is also associated with creativity, which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, hmm. I like that. That's really cool because I think we'll see the different ways in which water is utilized. And I think Katara is very creative with her element. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about that before. I also thought about Katara a little bit because I was trying to sort of relate these chakras to people who we know in the Avatar universe who are, you know, associated with a certain element. I thought it was interesting that the water chakra is blocked by guilt, and that's not really something we've seen Katara struggle with before. We will see that, though. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, in a very big way, like an entire episode is pretty much dedicated to that, so. Oh, okay. So that's coming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this one really seems to be the one we get the most advice on from Guru Patik. Aang really blames himself for two big things, which are running away from the air nomads and hurting people in the Avatar state. And Guru Patik tells him, you have to accept that this happened and you have to own up to it. And I think that's such an important piece of advice. I think sometimes owning up to something bad that you've done is the best thing you can do. And he also tells Aang to forgive himself, which I think a lot of people struggle with, myself included. And I really relate to Aang in this moment because I think Aang has no trouble at all forgiving other people, but has a very hard time forgiving himself. Yeah, I think that's true. So we actually go from the water chakra to the water tribe. <laughs> Yay, back to Hakoda and Saka. Back to Rachel's husband. I actually did a little bit of research into his voice actor for the first time, because I guess we haven't really heard him speak very much before, and I thought he sounded a little bit familiar. I couldn't actually find anything specific that I would know him from, but he's done a lot of voice work. And he also voices Boomy. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> right? Clearly he has some range. We get um, this little scene with Hakoda and Sokka where Hakoda is telling Sokka about this invention that he's made. Inventor, father and son duo. It's great. <laughs> yes, yes. That's clearly where Sokka gets his skills from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he also seems to get his sense of humor from Hakoda as well, which Bato is like really not amused by, but... <laughs> No, no, and Sokka thinks it's completely hilarious because he calls his invention the stinkin' sink, which, you know, Sokka's a teenage boy, so he would, probably. Right. Well, and in the Northern Air Temple episode, didn't he, like, do the whole raw egg thing? Like, he has the same stinky ideas as his father. <laughs> that's true, that's true, yes. Never underestimate the power of stink. Yeah, I also think that... Him finding that joke so funny probably has to do with how much he idealizes his dad, too. Yeah, I guess the one thing Hakoda and Boomy have in common is they do make some pretty bad puns. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. They do have something in common, after all. So, unfortunately, their little nice bonding moment is interrupted. Yeah, they get word that there's... Fire Nation fleets, and they're about to go fight, and Hakoda has to give orders because he's the chief of the tribe. And Sokka is like, 
you know, what What do I do, Dad? And Hakoda gives him this subtle reassurance that he trusts him to fight alongside them, which is really sweet. Oh, yeah, it is so sweet. Yeah, I also just liked Hakoda ordering everyone into battle. It was kind of hot, not gonna lie. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> to another father and son duo. We move to the newly opened Jasmine Dragon, which is really pretty. It is, yeah. I I think it's really cool, but I am very saddened by the fact that now only the upper ring people will get to enjoy Iroh's tea. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a gentrification type thing. And Zuko continues to be very weird. <laughs> He's just really happy for Iroh, and it's like almost sad in a way because I feel like we both know this isn't going to last. Iroh is just overcome with this feeling of happiness because Zuko is encouraging him and is excited to share this big day with him. Yeah, it's really nice, especially because, you know, a couple of episodes ago, he was not very happy for Iroh at all. (laughs) So it is a nice thing to see, but it doesn't feel real. I think that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's way too... Too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Speaking of fire. <laughs> We're back to the chakras. Yes, yes. And this one is the fire chakra in the show. It's also known as the solar plexus chakra. Yeah, so this chakra is located in the stomach and it deals with power and is blocked by shame. Mm-hmm, yes. Which I thought was interesting because I feel like shame is very much tied up with Zuko as a person. That's so true. Yeah, and it's also interesting that Aang is ashamed of fire bending. <laughs> right, right. This one, I think, is probably one of the hardest ones for Aang. Yeah, and Guru Patik notices because when he opens it, he's like, that didn't really open like a flowing creek. <laughs> Nope, nope. It was more like a, what does he say, a bison burp or something? Yeah, but I do like that Aang had some trepidation with opening this chakra because this will come back in the future. I think he's not quite there. Yeah, yeah. I guess from there we go to Fire Nation people (laughs) again. Disguised as Kyoshi warriors. Disguised as Kyoshi warriors. Yeah, we get this scene of Mei and Tai Lee just kind of chilling on the steps of the palace. It seems as though they are having a completely normal conversation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, they do a pretty good job of acting. I mean, they aren't really acting, but they're definitely saying, I think, some very rehearsed things. (laughs) It was kind of rude of them to talk about the Kyoshi warriors like that, but maybe it was an exaggeration. Well, they are their enemies, so... I know, but I'm I'm just upset. They also talk about Mei needing to clean up bear poop, which is (laughs) Yeah, poor Mei. She's on bear poop duty. (laughs) I bet Azula doesn't clean up any bear poop. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. She definitely assigns her minions to do that for her. Basically, what we find out is that, you know, they're talking very loudly about being part of the Fire Nation. They're like, shush up. Do you want the whole palace to know we're Fire Nation? 
what do you know, the Daily does find out about it. Because they're creepy and crawl up walls like some kind of weird, I don't know, sometimes they're bats, sometimes they're like creepy crawlies, I don't know what they are. They're the Daily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is what they are. Basically, Azula gets exactly what she wanted. Yeah, she's very manipulative, very calculating in this episode. She puts them in this position, and I think part of it, too, is that she knows other people will underestimate them because of their ages. I think she really uses that to her advantage. Yeah, yeah. Like, these gossiping teenage girls. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and them being women, too, I feel like. The Dai Li would think they're just, like, stupidly gossiping around the palace. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's go back to Aang and Guru Patik. Not mentally prepared for this scene. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, because this one is dealing with the heart chakra, which actually this week I did a yoga practice that was inspired by the heart chakra. So that was fun. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was nice. It had a lot of like heart opening poses, <laughs> which is cool. And actually, she also talked a little bit about like freedom during that, which I thought was cool because of like air and freedom being associated with each other. So we learned that the heart chakra, which is associated with air, is related to uh, grief. Yeah, it, it deals with love and is blocked by grief. So obviously... <laughs> Aang is going to have a lot of grief. Oh my goodness. Well, there's a part when Guru Patik says, lay all your grief out in front of you. And I was like, well, that's going to take a while. That scene where we just see all of the air nomads that were lost to the war, I think it's such an incredibly powerful image. And Aang's grief is honestly so profound that I think it's really hard for an average person to wrap their mind around it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't really imagine it, um, I think, unless you have experienced something like that, which I think there are some people who have, but not that many. <laughs> yeah, it is really, really sad. And they literally are laid out in front of him in this vision. Yeah, and then they start kind of turning to Ash and... Guru Patik talks about how Aang has felt this tremendous loss, but then comes my favorite, I'm going to cry, <laughs> my favorite quote in the whole show, which is, But love is a form of energy, and it swirls all around us. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And I love the idea of love that has been existed in the past being reborn into new love mm -hmm. yeah so his vision transforms and we see Katara and his love for her is just the embodiment of an entire nation reborn and I just oh it's just so beautiful <laughs> it is it's really really beautiful it's a lovely idea and now I'm wiping away my tears like Aang does <laughs> And the next one, then, is... Lucky says it's the sound chakra. <laughs> yes, that's true. It is the sound chakra. This is also known as the throat chakra. And um, this is where, I guess, I'm going to bring something up. And I don't 
want to be mean about this because it's not an accusation. It's, again, more of a question. But I did feel a little bit like some of the chakras were a little bit rushed in how quickly they were opened. And I think it stood out to me with the throat chakra because I feel like... So the throat chakra deals with... Uh, deals with truth and is blocked by lies. Yes. So the, they talk about how the lie that Aang told was that he didn't want to admit that he was the Avatar. And I feel like that's something that he hasn't actually struggled with for a long time. And so I think this is why I kind of got started on this train of thought. Because I sort of felt like that wasn't super... I didn't feel like we got enough justification in the show for that. Um, and I think... You know, I've been thinking about this since the episode as well, and I think a lot of it is the restriction of, like, you only have 20 minutes, right, in an episode. So how much can you really go into each of the chakras? I can completely understand that, but I did feel like some of them felt a bit rushed, including this one. Yeah, I think it's just important that we keep in mind, like, the time frame, and we're not really watching this in real time. And I think that... Part of it is like opening your chakras deals a lot with meditation. I mean, I would watch a 20-minute show of Aang meditating (laughs) (laughs) to keep like the attention of viewers and everything. That wouldn't have been great. And I think this takes place over the span of a week. So since there are seven chakras, I think in real time, it would have been like it takes a day to unlock each chakra and we do see like the sun setting and the sun rising i feel like that makes sense and that helps actually (laughs) okay good (laughs) (laughs) with my pacing issue because i hadn't really thought about it like that i kind of just it felt like it was all happening at the same time yeah and there is a lot happening in this episode like he probably sat there and meditated on it for a good couple of hours (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely yeah Um, so that, uh, makes a little bit more sense. But yeah, did you feel like it was a little strange that he was going back to this idea of him not accepting he was the Avatar? Because I thought it was weird to bring that up after so long. Not really, because I think, you know, he was saying we can't lie about our own nature. And I don't know that Aang has really reconciled the idea of being the Avatar along with being an airbender. And I think we'll see more of that struggle in the future. I mean, that's another thing where it's like, I have all of this knowledge of what's to come. So I understand why they focused on that a little bit more. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so from there we go into the light chakra. And that one I thought was really interesting because this is the first time they kind of interweave one story with another. Which is really cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like the way they did that. Yeah, so the light chakra is located in the center of the forehead and it deals with insight and is blocked by illusion. And so here we get more of this continual theme of everything being connected and the four elements and the four nations having more in common than they do differences, which has been brought up, I think, a lot in the past, especially with Iroh and bitter work. 
Yes, yes, I agree with that. Um, he talked about how, you know, the elements are all related to each other. And what Guru Patik is trying to say is that there really isn't a separation between them when you come right down to it. Yeah, so this is interspersed with Toph learning metal bending. And this always gives me the chills. <laughs> I just think it's so cool. Guru Patik is talking about there's even like metal in the earth and we can use that and Toph is doing her sensing that she does when she connects to the earth and she starts metal bending which you predicted a long time ago (laughs) (laughs) well what I said at the time I believe was that you know isn't metal just part of the earth as well Mm. Which is kind of what Guru Patik says. He says that it's refined, right? When you have a metal, it's a refined element. But, you know, these metals that we know about that are part of our vocabulary, they all exist within the earth. Like, that's where we get them from. So it doesn't really make sense, I think, for it to be separate from earthbending. Your light chakra was already opened. (laughs) Well, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) It is really cool that it gets to be Toph who does it because, mm. you know, we've seen how good she is at earthbending. And so this kind of just takes her to the next level, I think. Yeah. And I like, too, that I think it's an extension of her being blind and her being able to feel the earth, that she's the first one to discover this form of bending, which is really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You go, Toph. You're awesome. So while all of this very beautiful (laughs) stuff is going on, poor Katara just wants some tea. (laughs) Yeah, she and Momo are about to stop at the Jasmine Dragon for a cup of tea, and she seems, like, pretty happy about it, you know? She's just chilling. Like, she finally gets the chance to have, like, a chill, nice time, but then... (laughs) But then she walks into the tea shop and, oh, look, it's Zuko. (laughs) I think she wasn't even, like, thinking, honestly. Like, she just heard Zuko's voice and was like, oh, no. Because if she, like, took the time to think, she'd be like, why is Zuko working in a tea shop? (laughs) That's a really good point. (laughs) I feel like she'd have so many questions if she wasn't just, like, triggered by the sound of his voice. Yeah, I just felt really bad for her because I was just like, you know, the poor girl, I just felt like she just wanted to go to Starbucks, just sit and have a good time. (laughs) I wanted to go to Starbucks, but then it turned out my barista was someone who threatened my grandmother and has been chasing me around for a year. (laughs) Tried to kill my best friend on multiple occasions. Don't you hate it when that happens? Just Avatar things. (laughs) Yeah, so it's just really sad for her. Uh, that she doesn't get to get any tea and instead she's just running back to the palace being like ah yeah she's about to go tell the earth king that there is fire nation royalty in the city right right but we'll have to come back to her because we then go back to Eng and uh, Guru Batik and we are looking at the final chakra yes the thought chakra located at the crown of the head and deals with pure cosmic energy and is blocked by earthly attachment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this one is interesting, I think. It will be interesting to talk about 
you seem to think from your notes that there is a bit of a misunderstanding going on here. Yes, I do. (laughs) This letting go of earthly attachments thing reminded me a lot of the Jedi in Star Wars. It reminded me of that because, you know, the Jedi, they always talk about how Jedi have to leave behind their attachments. And that is something that comes up with Anakin, right? That he, he actually starts training a little bit too old for a Jedi. And they say that it could be dangerous because he won't be able to let go of these attachments as easily. But I, I've always thought of that as kind of like a flaw with the Jedi. Because I think that asking them to not have attachments is asking them not to be people which I think can be dangerous because they are disconnecting from the human side of them, especially since Jedi get trained when they're so young. Right. It was just interesting to think about the parallels between that. And Avatar Wiki did say that in an interview, Dave Filoni said that Aang received kind of Jedi-like training. They didn't actually give a source for this, but there was kind of a, a parallel there, I think. Yeah, I would say that... I think even Star Wars has kind of a misconception of this whole attachment thing Mm. because it stems from Buddhism. I think it is more of like earthly attachments are things that distract from the spiritual. And so I don't feel like Aang's love for Katara is something that weighs him down or keeps him from achieving enlightenment. I think that it's the same way with like the force (laughs) Mm. it's only like an attachment if it's comes before something else and it's keeping you from doing your duty sort of thing but I feel like Katara's love only lends to Aang being a better person and a better avatar if that makes sense just Mm. like I feel like if they would have let Anakin be with Padme like his passion and his love for her makes him better (laughs) Mm, yeah and I think I have heard George Lucas talk about how it was specifically attachment that he was trying to get at I just remember him saying something about how like Jedi could fall in love but they couldn't get married I think that was the idea, and because the marriage would be the the earthly attachment that would stop them from doing their duty, but they could still love. I guess. I I just, like, don't agree with it. (laughs) No, I don't agree with it either, and I think even the Star Wars itself has questioned that over time. Yeah, it doesn't sit well with me at all. I mean, there's definitely some parallels you can draw there, but I... I think Avatar has a better understanding of what an attachment is. And that goes into the next episode as well. Mm -hmm. And I do think that like in this moment, it's just not clarified to Aang because he's a 12 year old (laughs) and he was just told to let go of the person in this world who he loves the most. And he doesn't get that concept. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Okay, well, we'll go back to that because we have to take a quick detour, an unfortunate detour. So Katara has run back to the palace and she just sees the Kyoshi warriors, or what she thinks are the Kyoshi warriors, in the shadows. And 
She's like, Suki, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, not to call out Katara, because I'm sure she was very busy, but I feel like she should have tried to talk to Suki before Aww. this happened. Because then she would have realized that it wasn't Suki. Yeah, yeah. And also, again, I feel like it just goes back to like Zuko really just like triggered her flight or fight response and she's not really thinking clearly. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so she is talking to who she thinks is Suki and then she realizes it's not and Momo's reaction is really funny when he realizes it's Azula. <laughs> I didn't even notice. What did he do? He screams and jumps off her shoulder. Momo, you really even haven't had to deal with Azula that much. <laughs> He just knows. He just he knows. senses the danger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just stood out to me because I was like, oh my god, that's so funny. Unfortunately, it's too late for Katara to really be able to do anything. She doesn't even get the chance to fight back. Tylee just attacks her and blocks her chi and she's left on the ground. Yeah, I thought the visual of this was kind of cool. Uh, in a terrible way because water that like she was trying to get out for water bending falls out of the little flask that she has and so it just like pools underneath her and it looks like it could be like a pool of blood mm. now Azula knows that Zuko is in the city as well uh, she knows everything I know it's just everything seems to be falling into her lap and Honestly, the worst possible thing right now for Zuko is to reunite with her. Right, right. Yeah, it's like if we think about those two dragons that he saw, he had been following Iroh, kind of. But Azula is probably going to come back into his life now. Oh boy. <laughs> Good things never last. <laughs> oh well, let's go back to Aang. <laughs> okay. And this is when we actually get to see his vision for the, the final chakra. And we get to see a giant Aang in an avatar state. This is when Aang is really trying to do what Guru Patik wanted him to do. Yeah, I appreciate him trying, even if it's like, you're really asking me to surrender Katara. Right, right. He doesn't want to do that. The problem then becomes that he sees in his vision what has happened to Katara. Mm -hmm. She's chained up and she's screaming for help. Mm-hmm. So he can't really continue on the path that he's trying to go on because he has been pulled away by Katara. And if he has to choose between the Avatar state and Katara, he's going to choose Katara. Yeah, yeah. So then it really becomes this matter of urgency because if it wasn't like that, I feel like maybe he could have gone into the Avatar state. You know, he's got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It did make me think, as all things do, about <laughs> Jean Grey. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I've compared Jean Grey mostly to Katara. But I think there is a comparison between her and Aang because she has been variously associated with the Phoenix Force. Mm -hmm. which is this like cosmic entity and it's been written in different ways um over time and then you know in the movies it's more of like an aspect of her personality in the comics they've tried to separate it from her but there have been writers who have written 
her as kind of becoming one with the Phoenix Force and her becoming this cosmic energy which is completely detached from the mortal world. And I don't know if that is the best thing to do with someone like Jean or Aang because both of them are such empathetic people that I feel like it's not great to separate them from, I guess, their earthly attachments. Mm. (laughs) Because they are such a fundamental part of who they are. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's something else that comes into play here where Aang still hasn't reconciled with his entire identity and that means firebending as well mm-hmm. <laughs> and also what does it mean to kind of be an airbender and the avatar at the same time because he's the only airbender that's left so that's really difficult yeah these are questions again I feel like it's a parallel with Zuko where they haven't quite earned this transformation like you said before like if Aang were to master the avatar state is he quite there I don't know I don't think he's reconciled with all of the parts of himself Mm -hmm. yeah I like that parallel that you know maybe they're kind of going too fast into what they're trying to do like Zuko's Mm -hmm. case he's trying to be a better person but he's going like way too fast into that yeah (laughs) and the same thing with Aang Right, because normally, like we've been told this before, I think with Roku, is that he mastered all four elements and then he mastered the Avatar state. I think it goes back to, honestly, that first episode of this season where Katara's like, we're not doing this the right way. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And Guru Batik, you know, obviously came from a place of wanting to help Aang. Mm -hmm. But I think he didn't quite realize where Aang was. Yeah, and there's no way he really could have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Aang leaves. Yep. Peace out. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, gotta go save Katara. Can't blame him. It's very important. I would also choose Katara over the Avatar State. (laughs) Amen. And then from there we go back to Toph, because she she had just started, I think, metal bending, but now we see the full (laughs) (laughs) display of her power. So she pretty much breaks a hole throughout the metal coffin, and Shin Fu and Master Yu are like, uh, what's going on here? (laughs) So they go to investigate, and she's not there anymore. Doesn't one of them say, this is another one of her tricks? (laughs) They're so dumb. They're really dumb. She shows up and shows them who's boss. Yep, she metal bends them back into the metal coffin. And I feel like there's somewhere on Avatar Wiki where it's like, they were discovered later and got out, but... I don't know. I feel like the implication is like Toph locked them in there and they're gonna die in there. (laughs) I don't even feel bad for them. Like, they're complaining. One of them is complaining about being stuck in the metal coffin, like, with the other one. And I'm like, you made your bed. This is your fault. Yeah. You only have yourself to blame for this. So, I don't... Do we see them again? Nope. That's it. (laughs) Thank goodness. And this is when she calls them dunderheads, too, which you've been calling them for a while, but she calls them dunderheads. It's just a great insult. (laughs) It is, it is. And appropriate for these two idiots. 
My last two brain cells. Oh boy, if your last two brain cells are them, you're screwed. Yeah, so then Toph starts land surfing back to Ba Sing Se. And I really thought this was like the most badass thing ever when I was a teenager. <laughs> it is pretty cool. But yeah, I can see how a teenager would think it was extremely cool. <laughs> yes. Well, it's good that she's going back to Ba Sing Se because I feel like they're going to need her. Yeah. No more metal coffins. <laughs> and then meanwhile, we go back to Sokka and he's having a little heart to heart with his dad. They're about to kind of go into battle against this Fire Nation fleet, but then Aang lands on Appa and just gives Sokka one look, and <laughs> Sokka kind of knows what that means. <laughs> yes, yeah. I did just want to say that I thought it was really sweet how Sokka and Hakoda interact and kind of the trust that Hakoda has in his son. It made me think about Rob and Ned in Game of Thrones. Because we've compared Sokka to Rob before, and I feel like in Game of Thrones we didn't really get to see them interact very much. I kind of wish we did. Yeah. Because I, I feel like, you know, Ned would have felt the same way about Rob, that he doesn't have to prove anything to him, and that I feel like what Sokka is doing would make Hakoda proud. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean... He's helping save the world. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he's not going to go with his dad into battle because of Aang. They have an understanding <laughs> yes, <laughs> between them. <laughs> and so the next thing we see is that Sokka hops up onto Appa and off they go. Oh, they do get one last look of Hakoda and Sokka looking at each other and Hakoda smiling. So Yeah, brief reunion, but very sweet. I'm glad they did get to see each other if it was only for a week, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was something. And then we go to a truly unholy pairing of people. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so we finally get to see Long Fang for the first time in this episode, and he's just been in prison this whole time. I was waiting for us to see Long Fang again. <laughs> so the Dai Li have relayed this information to him that... Azula is in Ba Sing Se. They bring her to him and he decides that he's going to ally with her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's cool. He's such a snake. Like, imagine allying with somebody who basically is part of this nation that wants to kill your entire race. Yeah, I mean, it's just an example of how much he is completely out for himself. Exactly. And again, it's a comparison to Littlefinger in Game of Thrones, which we've talked about before. But literally all he cares about is getting a leg up in the world, and he doesn't care about anything else. Yeah, and I feel like, again, somebody underestimating Azula because he really thinks she's going to spare the city just because... He's giving her the avatar. Like, okay, dude. <laughs> Lol, no. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of Zhao. I feel like it's the same sort of thing where he doesn't care if the whole world gets thrown into chaos as long as he's in power. Yeah, you're right. I could definitely see parallels between them. You need, like, a cardboard cutout villain every <laughs> season or so. Not that they are completely like cardboard cutouts i think they have their motivations but like not super complex villains i feel like you need some of them to counterbalance with the more complex villains yeah i do think long thing is 
a little more interesting than Zhao. Zhao is just like a nationalist. So. Yeah, yeah. I do think like the motivation of being out for yourself is very interesting, but I tend to really hate those characters. Baelish is one of my least favorite characters ever. Yeah, same, same. I mean, Baelish also has other things that he does that are just completely weird, like hit on Sansa. Well, Long Fang hit on Jet, but in a different way. So. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was terrible. Anyway. Yeah, so that's happened. And then we get to see another layer to Azula's plan. Yep. So we go back to the tea shop and it's kind of when they're at their clothes and Iroh gets a note that the Earth King has requested that he serve tea at the palace. Poor Iroh, he's so excited about it, and he has no idea it's a trap. <laughs> nope. Nope. And Zuko is very happy for him, being his beautiful butterfly self. <laughs> I can't wait for us to release this week's episode so we can start joking about beautiful butterfly, like, in the Discord as well. I think, honestly, like, we've talked about this and the animation and how they make Zuko's weight fluctuate, like, in this moment, he has honestly never looked better. Like, he's all filled out, and he's smiling, and it just makes me sad because I know this isn't going to last. <laughs> no, no, it can't last. But, you know, it works out eventually for Zuko, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, and then the final scene that kind of closes the whole episode is Azula being kind of escorted back to her apartments by the daily and she just has this big smirk on her face oh i just like got the chills thinking about it <laughs> she is i said that she was just casually like being the smartest person in every room <laughs> well she has all the right cards in her hand right now so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yep and it can end well she knows where zuko is She's got the Dai Li around her finger, and Katara is in prison, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess this is setting us up nicely for the finale, because basically it seems like everything's about to go wrong. Yeah, <laughs> so true. So the finale, we can have things go wrong and then be resolved, as these things go, right? So. Okay, I'm not ready. Oh, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's coming. But before we get to talking about next week's episode, we have a couple of things that we need to do, unless you have anything else for this episode. Nope, we talked a lot. We did, we did. I mean, it was a very busy episode. So what about MVPs? Who are we picking as the MVPs of this episode? This is hard. Part of me wants to just pick Aang, but I, I feel like... All of the members of the gang and their respective storylines did a really good job. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we really got to see them do much. Like, Katara, I don't think, got to do a whole lot. It is a very Aang-centric episode. Mm -hmm. I was also thinking about Toph because of her metal bending. I feel like that was a pretty badass moment. It was. <laughs> My inclination was... Aang and Toph. I'm cool with Aang and Toph. And like their stories are also the ones that little like have that little intertwining moment too. So Yeah, yeah. Cause Sokka, I mean, he also didn't get to do anything because he was gonna go into battle and then didn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, he would 
take I'm bonding with his dad over the MVP title any day. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he can be the MVP of bonding with his dad. Absolutely. Yes. But uh, just overall, in terms of the episode, I feel like the people who made the most progress were Aang and Toph, personally. Okay, I'm cool with that. Toph has got an MVP a lot, I think, this season. Yeah, I mean, she keeps them alive, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so should we go into our playlist then? Okay. I picked for this week a song that I felt like fit both Azula and Toph, actually. And I was kind of inspired by Ty Lee's line about Azula <laughs> because the song is Confident by Demi Lovato. Ty Lee said that, you know, she admired Azula's confidence, so that's what made me think of this song. It's just about, you know... Um, being okay with being confident and I thought that it fit with Azula for obvious reasons and also with Toph because of how much of a badass she is in this episode (laughs) so like the opening lyrics are uh, it's time for me to take it I'm the boss right now not gonna fake it not when you go down because this is my game and you better come to play so this idea of just like being the one in control there's also a part of the lyrics that say that you've had me underrated which I think applies to Azula (laughs) Yeah. The song itself, um, the lyrics are, you know, what's wrong with being confident? It was a nice kind of tie between these two different characters. Obviously, they have different worldviews <laughs> and their confidence is being applied in different ways. But I thought it might be fun to kind of tie those together. Nice. So what about you? So I picked Crystalline by Bjork and the song is definitely not going to be to everyone's taste. <laughs> I realize that, but I think it fits really well with this episode and kind of Aang's journey that's going on. I actually like the remix better, but it's not on Spotify. So if you can listen to the remix on YouTube by Dark Jedi, I think is the username. It's really cool. I think the lyrics work well. It's really about like being connected to the earth and the one that I think really goes along with Aang's journey is it's the sparkle you become conquer anxiety and I feel like he does a lot of that with conquering his fears and opening his chakras and one of the verses goes we mimic the openness of the warmth we love dovetail our generosity equalizes the flow with our hearts we chisel courts to reach love And I feel like that relates a lot to him opening his heart chakra. It's a very interesting song. I don't really know what Bjork was trying to portray, but (laughs) (laughs) to to me, it it sounded a lot like Aang's journey going on. Do we ever know what Bjork is trying to portray? That's a good question. That's really cool. I'm impressed that you managed to find a song to relate to Aang because I tried and I could not. (laughs) It's so hyper specific. And, you know, I I feel like a lot of what we listen to is, I mean, the majority is like Western songs. And I don't know that the those concepts are really in a lot of the music we listen to. So That's true. Yeah. I tried my best. (laughs) I love her, though. I think she's a genius. Yes, she's uh, not really my taste, but I admire her aesthetic. 
Right, yeah. And just her confidence in being who she is. <laughs> All right, so then it's time to talk about next week's episode. It's a big one. It is. It's the finale. I can't believe we're at the finale already. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> it's wild. Like, in two weeks, we will be talking about book three. Yeah, so I don't want to give too much away, but honestly, this is definitely up there and like, I think, some of the best episodes of the show, and it's just really dealing with the consequence of this episode and how Azula, like I said, she has all of these cards now in her hand and how that's going to play out. Uh, maybe beautiful butterfly Zuko going back into his chrysalis because <laughs> we knew that wasn't going to last. So what you're saying is butterfree Zuko is going to become a metapod again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe maybe even a caterpie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I guess one more little preview I'll give is that I think Iroh has a really really fun interesting storyline in the next episode especially how he interacts with some of the characters we've never seen him interact with before oh oh I'm intrigued I just love how they like pair up certain characters and you never would like know what their dynamic is and then they show it to us and we're like Oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Iroh and Toph as well in that one episode. That was fun. Wow. Okay, well, I'm excited to watch the finale next week. Much to look forward to. Until then, if you want to find us, you can find us on Twitter at Ember Sayers. I always tweet out the MVP every week. And if you want to send us some suggestions for the closing book two episode on there, you can do that as well. You can also send us suggestions at our email, emberislandsayers at gmail.com. And if you want to include any reviews or more long-form comments or questions, that's a great place to send those things. We are available on multiple platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, or even if you don't, we would really appreciate it if you would give us a rating and a review. It just really helps other people find the show. Um, and we just want to share our love of Avatar with more people. <laughs> so until next time, the big finale, <laughs> I will tell everyone to stay flaming. Stay flaming, everybody. That was a good bathroom break. <laughs> Let us sleep. How can I make this about Jetco? Dilphyro. Good one, Azula. Or I could just do that butterfly meme that's like, is this my destiny? <laughs> <laughs>